0: Heavenly Father we're going to look at your word but it is your word your word Lord so we ask you to to rescue it from the preacher and make it your word your word Lord is living and active and it's sharper than any two edged sword and it pierces to the division of bones and marrow and joint and soul and spirit Lord We open ourselves to your word. And you tell us in the word that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. We want you to stir up faith today, Lord God. We want your naked word to reverberate with your awesome power and grace. And that's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This year marks the 40th year of my formal ordination as a minister in the Baptist Church. 40 years is a long time, it's a biblical generation. When I entered the ministry, I was full of faith and amazing expectancy because, of course, now revival was going to come and awesome things were going to happen. And over the years, I'd Believe me, as in your lives, we have seen some awesome things that God does in in the changing of lives, in the rescuing of people out of darkness, in the power of His word. Seen wonderful, wonderful things. But I've seen something else over those forty years, something which disturbs me because I've been a part of it at times, and it is that in churches all over the place, there are people who are Christians. But their faith and their walk with Jesus is stymied by guilt or failure or fear. And at times my own walk with God has been halted by those things. So that's what, by the grace of God, I want to address today. It is the simple gospel what Jesus accomplished for you and for me on the cross. What we celebrate every time we take this wine and this bread because we're not saved by a system or a denomination or by rituals. God sent a person and that person is his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. Jesus Christ is your rescuer. Jesus Christ is the one who brings God's pardon and grace to you. Jesus Christ, who was crucified for us. And not as a matter of creedal statement, but in the reality of actual miracle was raised from the dead on the third day. A number of times I've tried to work out how that happened. And I can't work out how that happened. How did God do that? But God did that. Christ died for our sin. And God raised him. From the dead. We don't have a creedal statement. We have a living Saviour. So, Lord, show yourself today, please. I'm going to read a short passage from Romans chapter 3. It doesn't matter how you read this passage, it's got some jargon in it. Please, Bear with the jargon in the same way that when I go to a garage, I have to bear with the garage mechanic who tells me that this, I don't know, carburetor throttle, head gasket, something or other, something unpronounceable is wrong with my car. And I go, oh yeah, I'm glad you understand it. The purpose today is to try and unwrap some of this jargon. The way those kids will unwrap their parcels at Christmas and say, Wow, look what's inside this box. So, from Romans chapter 3, and beginning at verse 21, Paul has been writing about the law. The law that he mentions here is the Jewish law, the law which came by Moses and which you find in. The early books of the Bible, the law by which God demonstrated his righteousness. This is his character and his righteousness. This is what holiness looks like. This is how he wants the people of Israel to live. But the problem with the law, as they discovered, and as Paul points out, is that we try and live by the law, but there's a principle of sin at work in us, a predisposition in us since the fall. A predisposition to do the opposite of what we ought to do. You've seen it in your children. Your parents saw it in you. It's in us. And so, what the law actually does is it shows us the wrongness of our lives. But it doesn't matter how much we try and keep the law, it doesn't make us perfect. It cannot do that. And so even in the Old Testament, the law prescribes a sacrificial system, sacrifices by which people could be put right with God. And Paul is here saying that God has devised a way apart from the law, which works for Jews and works for people who never had the law, by which we can be put right with God, by faith. In Jesus Christ, who became the sacrifice to end all sacrifices, to put us all right with God. Okay. So verse 21. Now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. this he did to demonstrate his righteousness because, in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. We'll stop there. The three jargon packages. One, the word justified is a legal word. It belongs to the law courts. The word redemption belongs to the marketplace and especially to the slave market. And the word atoning sacrifice is actually propitiation which is a kind of sacrifice which wards off or turns away wrath. So let's have a look at each of those in picture form now. First of all, we are justified freely by his grace. You you know, don't you, that grace is the sheer unearned, Mercy of God. God reaching out to those who don't deserve it. And saying, but I have always loved you and now I have demonstrated my love in Jesus Christ. And I am reaching out to you. This is my grace to you. Receive it. Justified is being put right with God, If you go to the court and you are in good standing with the judge, you can go out for a meal with him at lunchtime without your character or his honour in any way being impugned. He doesn't suffer disgrace because you are right with him and he with you, okay? Now then, all of us are going to stand before the judge of all men, the judge of our lives. We're going to stand before God. Nothing of our lives has been missed. Your wives or your husbands have missed what you're thinking, though they might have seen it and guessed it in your body language, but they don't know what you were thinking or what you were planning, but God does. You may know what you did in the secret of the darkness and nobody else does, but God does. The things that everybody else knows that you have lied or, or whatever you've done, they know it, God knows that too. You and I are going to stand before the throne of God's judgment. And someone is going to stand up And they're going to read the list of charges. I'm putting this in pictorial terms, you understand that, for the sake of illustration. And the charges are going to be read. And you and I will have to give an answer to his majesty. Are you guilty or not guilty? The Bible has already charged that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Are you going to argue your way out of it? Are you going to plead difficult circumstances? Or do you just have to stand there naked, as it were, before God and say, guilty as charged, Lord. Guilty as charged. That is the way it will be. We have no other plea. But as we declare guilty as charged, someone in that courtroom stands up. And it is your advocate. And your advocate is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. For this purpose, he came into the world. And he stands between you and the judge. And you notice that in his hands there are the marks of crucifixion and in his feet and there are scars on him. And you sense that these scars have healed but they're still there. But now they're speaking not condemnation but promise. And your advocate is turning to the father, his father who is the judge and saying, but father, you know that i took the can for this man this woman who had put their hope in me they had made me their advocate have you made jesus your advocate before god if you don't have an advocate you're lost But have you made Jesus your advocate before God? Because he stands up and he says, but these people have put their hope in me, Father, and you're the one who sent me to the cross on their behalf. You cannot condemn them because you have raised me to justify them. Put them right with you, Father. And the Father listens to your advocate and he says, Son, Everything you did, you did right. Everything you did was according to my will and purpose. You have spoken for this one. I will clothe them with the righteousness which is yours because you took their place And I accepted that by raising you from the dead. I couldn't have raised you from the dead if you had done this contrary to my will and purpose. To the prisoner, you are released. You are justified. You may leave this courtroom a free person. Leave with your advocate and stick with him. Son, well done, he says to Jesus, our advocate. You are justified freely by grace. When you leave this courtroom, you owe Jesus nothing. You don't have to empty your bank balance. Or give your life to be burned to pay back your advocate for this great duty he's performed you in the courts of God. You are justified freely by grace through faith in Jesus. You are declared not guilty, you are free to go and walk with God. Did you know that? Go and walk free. Your advocate has spoken for you on the cross and in the court. There's another jargon word here. The picture flips. <clears throat> We're not in a courtroom anymore. We're in a a marketplace. And there are slaves there in chains. They have no power of their own. They are captive and property of another. But someone comes forward and purchases them, not to use them, but to release them from their chains. They pay a ransom. A redemption price. And the new owner says, I don't want you to serve me. I want you to go free. Christ is our redemption price. But what is the slave? What is the slave enslaved to? Jesus says, Whoever continues in sin is a slave of sin. And this is another reason, over the years, I've discovered that Christians hide from God. They go to church and they sing the hymns and they go to the Bible studies but they hide from God because there's some secret in their life, something which keeps holding them back, something which if they were to be totally honest about it would say, I am trapped by this habit, by this sin, by this system of thinking. I cannot escape. I am a failure. Now the Apostle John, writing in his letter, says that Christians do not sin. And then, phew, he goes on and says, But if they sin, we have an advocate with the Father. The point is that when we put our hope and our trust in Jesus, we realize that Christ died on the cross for us because of our sin. And when we come to Him with a true heart, we say, I repent. I turn from all that sin. I no longer want the slavery of that life to engulf me. I'm going to live for you, Jesus. And the scripture says, If the Son shall set you free, you will be free indeed. So Christ has paid a redemption price. To set us free from the things that enslave our minds and our hearts and our bodies in things we're ashamed of and can't speak about, but which hold us. How does he do this? Again, it's through faith. But some illustrations first. One I think I've used here before. But I love this story... For the reason I'm now using it. On a Sabbath day, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who'd been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Isn't that fantastic? 18 years, more and more bent with a curvature of the spine till all she could see was the dust her own feet kicked up when she walked. And now Jesus has said to her, You are free of your infirmity. Now it's like this with the sins which hold us captive, keep us bent so we can't look up but only look down in shame. This woman couldn't mend her own body, it was impossible for her to heal herself. But she trusted the word of Jesus. If he said, woman, you are freed from your infirmity, do you think that she walked home bent double, saying, yippee, I'm free? The scripture says she straightened her back. And praised God. If the Son sets you free, we have to start living free. We take him at his word. And so the second illustration, which again, forgive me, some of you have probably heard this umpteen times now. But when I was a new Christian, became a Christian, I smoked. Those two fingers on my right hand were bright Orange. I had a hacking cough all the time. I didn't smoke them all, but I bought 80 a day at one time because they're great for social purposes. You go to the pub and you hand them out and you're everybody's mate and they buy you drinks. So I had a smoking habit and a drinking habit. But the smoking habit was the one that got me. And I became a Christian, and I tried to stop smoking. Now, this is a very long time ago. In those days, you could buy packets of 20, packets of 10, packets of 5, and packets of 2. I tried to give up smoking. I smoked 10, out of 20, and threw the rest away. But I still wanted a fag, so I bought a packet of 10 and smoked 5, and threw the rest away. So I still wanted to smoke, so I bought a packet of 2 and smoked 1. And then I bought it, and so it went on. In the end, I said, God, I so much want to give up. This demeaningness this, to me, I, I smell of the stuff. Everywhere I go, I just smell of the stuff. And it's killing me. I want to give up, but I can't give up. I'm a slave to this. I'm not ruling it, it's ruling me, Lord. Lord. And then this prayer. Heavenly Father, I will walk past the fag shop. Will you take away the craving? I meant it with all my heart. And I walked past the fag shop one day, two days, three days. And I've never smoked since. Because if the sun shall set you free, you will be free indeed. Don't think I haven't wanted to smoke. For years I kept a pipe and tobacco in my bedside table just because I liked the idea and perhaps now I haven't smoked for a long time, I could have a bit of a pipe. Don't think I haven't been tempted. But if the sun shall set you free, you will be free indeed. And smoking has never been the worst of my sins. Believe me, if the Son says you are free, then that sin, that thought process, that pornography, that forked tongue, whatever it has been for you, if you say, Lord, I will cut it out. I will look away. I will walk past the shop. You take away the power that holds me. Break the power of this sin from over my life. And if the Son shall set you free, you will be free indeed. And you'll remember your failures, but you will give the glory to God. Because Christ died on the cross as a redemption price. I don't know how that works, to tell the truth. I may be being fanciful and even heretical at the moment. But I know that Jesus offered himself up to God on our behalf. But it was the hour of darkness. And he released himself for darkness to do what it wanted with him. It was Satan's hour. And I can imagine Satan saying, I've got the son. I only have to make him curse God and die. And I've got mankind in my grasp. Here's my price. But Jesus didn't sin. Even though it seemed to him that the Father had deserted him, he trusted the Father to the end. He trusted him who judges justly. And Satan at his strongest, that one who holds us in the thrall of sin and the fear of death, Satan at his strongest was defeated by our Saviour at his weakest. And he has become your redemption. And when you put your trust in him, he will give you his Holy Spirit. And he will break that power of sin from over you. And he will give you a new disposition. Not one that can't sin but he will take away the heart of sin disposed to do the opposite of God's will and put a new nature in you, disposed to please God. You will still sin, but if you sin, we have an advocate of God. Don't live in failure. A redemption price has been paid to set you free. so we come to the last box to open the word propitiation a sacrifice which turns away wrath I've come across Christians who still live in fear they don't want to approach God I'm not worthy and it sounds a bit pathetic but you look into their eyes and you know that they feel it And your heart goes out to them. But you are worthy. Christ died for you. He paid the greatest price somebody can pay and he paid it for you. I'm not worthy. And there's fear. Fear of what? Judgment? Wrath? But Christ was a sacrifice to rescue you from that. To make you worthy in God's eyes. Not because you're perfect, but because you put your whole hope in Him. We know that as you stand before the Father at the last day, your advocate has already stood forward for you. You are justified freely by His grace through the sacrifice of Jesus. We know that you can stand before the Father with your head held high because the Son has set you free and you have walked with him in holiness and trusting in him because a redemption price was paid for you. But there are still the accusations that have come from the world. One family accused me of killing their son I'm not making this up this is what they accused me of a family in Stockwell. because my son their son accused me of killing their son did I say my son? accused me of killing their son because their son went off their rails off the rails and at the time they went, he went off the rails he and I were off the rails together so when later on when we hadn't met for several years, our friendship had parted. When several years later he did something stupid and was killed in an accident as a result of it, I heard that his parents blamed me. Now I've never seen them to talk about it and they've never confronted me and I have it as hearsay. That's all. okay. But even though... You are now a Christian. The things you have done before you were saved are things which are known. They're known by family. They're known by friends. They're known by victims of your sin. Now, when we turn to Jesus, there may be occasions when we need to make reparation. There may be people we need to get on our knee to and say, look, we're so sorry. We're Christians now, but what we did was wrong. That is integrity. But remember, Jesus has said, you are free. Walk free. And so we have this sacrifice, this propitiation, which from God's perspective turns away wrath. And in the commentaries... This is often related. This sacrifice is related to what happens in the Jewish. You know the tent that um, Moses built, that it had a most holy place, and you know that in that most holy place was a golden box, and in that golden box there were the tablets of stone with the law on, and. Moses' rod, um, Aaron's rod that budded. Those things were in there, do you remember? And some manna. And once a year, the high priest went into that most holy place and he poured the blood of a special sacrifice on the lid of that box, the lid that covered the stone tablets. Because that box was placed between... Two golden cherubim. Cherubim are the guardians of the glory of God. And whenever the high priest went into that place, symbolically, he went into the presence of God. Okay? That was the symbolism. And every year when he went in, those stone tablets with the Ten Commandments out shouted, murder adultery false false witness shouted out all those accusations against the people of god because the people of god had failed in those things but god ordained that this blood of sacrifice should be poured over that lid and drown out The accusations and the wrath, even of the law, so that God said, because of that blood, I still will not listen to those accusations. But I will, I have redeemed my people. They are my people. I will not listen to all that stuff. I have redeemed them. Satan sits on your shoulder and has often done it and accused you of all kinds of things. Family at times have turned around and said, yeah, call yourself a Christian, but do you remember when? And other people have turned around to you at times, and although you've changed over the years, all they can remember is what you did 20 years ago, and you're still that wicked person that you were then. And then you were an elder in the church, for goodness sake. A sacrifice has been made in the blood of Jesus, which turns away from God all those accusations against those who in simple faith have applied to him through Jesus for forgiveness and for mercy and for new life and for hope and for welcome. And God doesn't hear those anymore. He says, stand up. Yes, you did those things but you are rescued and you are my son and you are my daughter and that will never ever change. Now did you know that? This is your standing in Jesus. Now if you trust him. Trust it.